You're listening to The Wrestling Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at obpapparel.com. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life. It's episode 161. It is June 20th, 2018. I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. Liam, there's so much to talk about. And so much we can't talk about. Things we're definitely not going to talk about on the show this week. We're definitely not going to talk about why Sid didn't come into the WWE in 2003 when Triple H had already buried Kane and Rob Van Dam and they had to bring in Scott Steiner and Kevin Nash off the street so that he would have fresh babyface opponents. We're not going to talk about that. Definitely not going to talk about that. We're definitely not going to talk about how watching old Ricky Morton matches, I realized that 2002 to 2010 Shawn Michaels was kind of just a slightly elevated version of Ricky Morton. Um, And then he stole a lot from Ricky Morton. uh, We're not going to talk about how uh, the corporate cane gimmick has evolved into the constable gimmick. Uh, I really don't want to talk about Baron Corbin and his penis face. Um, <laughs> and we're definitely not going to talk about how, when I was a kid, uh, 45-year-old women looked like Greg the Hammer Valentine and Harley Race. <laughs> and now that I'm 34 years old, 45-year-old women look like Jennifer Garner. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely something we shouldn't talk about. So what should we talk about this week? Well, hey, there was, a, there was a Money in the Bank show. There was. There was an NXT show. There was uh, a, there's a New Japan tour going on. Actually, I guess the Kazuna Road uh, tour just ended. The G1 participants were announced. You just want to hit on that and get it out of the way? Sure. So they announced the field for the G1. 19 shows all in uh, broadcast with English com- broadcast live with English commentary. Obviously, rest in peace, my day job. <laughs> uh, I guess the most notable thing is Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi in the same block. Other than that, no surprises. Is there anything in terms of people that weren't in that you were surprised at? And uh, what do you think about Kenny and Kota being in the same uh, block? Um. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little surprised, and I guess he had said on Twitter he wasn't going to be in it, but I thought maybe there was a chance Cody would be in it. Um, he's obviously not. I guess he has other commitments. Um, and Or maybe he just didn't want to wrestle for 19 days straight. Uh, I don't think anyone would blame him if that's the case either. Um, Hangman Page is in there. He's got a chance to maybe stand out. We talk, we've talked about him a lot. You know, Every time we see him, he seems to get a little bit better, so... You'll have plenty of chances to work with really good workers here, so he might end up, you know, one of the more improved guys when all is said and done. But yeah, not a lot of surprises. Well, speaking of uh, something else that's not a surprise, there was a very good takeover show on Saturday night this week, and I had to get up at uh, 3 a.m. on Sunday morning to write about New Japan, so I only saw the first two matches of the takeover show, but Surprise, they were excellent. Uh, what'd you think of the whole takeover show? What'd you think of? I have not seen Gargano and Ciampa 2 yet. What'd you think of that match? What'd you think of the show in general? Um, I guess we can start with the main event. Uh, it was different. They didn't try to top what they did last time. They had a fight, they had a street fight. It was probably as violent a match as you were going to see 
in PG WWE. There wasn't a lot of blood. I think Gargano did have his nose busted, but uh, it wasn't you know a crazy bloodbath or anything. But they they hit each other really hard. They took suplexes on the floor and on the steps, and took a crazy bump through two tables on cement. Um, so as far as a big wild fight. It was uh, it delivered. Uh, you know that was that was promised in the promos. This was not Johnny wrestling. This was uh, Johnny coming to fight, and they did that. Obviously, Champa ends up getting his hand raised because the ref conveniently disappeared uh, with r- no real explanation for a while. But that hmm. that sets up, I think, what we talked about on our show last week, which is pretty sure Champa is going to win the title over SummerSlam weekend, and then you get. Gargano Champa three at uh, whatever the Survivor Series weekend show is. Hmm. Are they in Houston this year, or was that last year? Uh, I think it might might be Houston again this year. They might be going back to back years there. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's your scoop. Uh, you called that. I honestly don't think that deeply about NXT booking, uh, but um, yeah, that makes sense. I like how you laid that out. Yeah, as far as the rest of the show goes, it was another, as you mentioned, another very, very good show. Uh, nothing nothing bad. Uh, opener, uh, Undisputed Era guys are the most over guys on that whole brand. And so it was tough for the generic bald men who hit, who hit people too hard. <laughs> um, hi, Oni. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I don't think anybody thought they were going to win, so that hurt them a little bit, but... Still four talented guys, obviously, and uh, had a really great match. And then I guess it's not a spoiler because WWE tweeted it out. Uh, then Trent Seven and Tyler Bate won the NXT Tag Titles today, or as we're recording it today on Tuesday. That's right. Uh, Mustache Mountain are the NXT Tag Team Champions. And that segues, I guess, here into discussing the official launch of the NXT UK brand uh, we know that this has uh, been coming in some form for over a year and kind of stop, start, stop, start. Oh, ITV is getting in the wrestling business. We got to start again. <laughs> uh, let's let's sign all the, all the available British talent that we can to weird deals that let them work all over the place except for ITV. Uh, except, but hey, when we, NXT- except when we don't want them to. <laughs> right. Like, if you're talent, I understand if you're like the rank and file talent, why you would sign one of those deals. But specifically, I'm thinking of Pete Dunn, Tyler Bate, Tony Storm. Why would you sign those deals? Uh, <laughs> I mean, Dunn and Bate actually probably signed before the lay of the land was this clear, but I don't know why Tony Storm signed one of those kinds of deals. I don't know. I guess they see it as a way to make a little more money and maybe get your name on a, on a wider stage. I don't know how much more of a big stage an NXT UK show is compared to being a top indie wrestler or a top British star. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, they've certainly got money to throw around now, so it could simply be a dollars and cents thing. I think the fact that at least to start, they're letting people, some people, continue to work other places maybe that feels like less of a you know we're not really selling out because i can still work other places thing i don't know it's obviously not trying to psychoanalyze anybody i don't know 
But yeah, I mean, there's something to that. I think they're gonna they can work for pretty much whoever they want, except for as you mentioned, ITV, and I don't think we're gonna see them work with RevPro too often anymore since they're pretty cozy with ROH and New Japan. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, interesting development in the first of these kind of local global territories. It's we're we're like regressing what's old is new again we're going back to a territory system only wwe is going to run every territory yeah well we're just putting walmart's in other countries now <laughs> that's that's how it goes uh, i also forgot to mention that we're not going to talk about uh sting deciding not to go to wwe in 2011 oh we're not going to talk about him choosing to stay and and not per- potentially wrestle the undertaker and we're not going to talk about how his reward for that decision was the Victory Road Jeff Hardy match. Correct. And we're not going to talk about how WWE had no intention of even contacting Sting until the internet went wild over the vignette <laughs> of the guy approaching the cabin wearing black boots and said, oh, it's Sting, oh, it's Sting. WWE hadn't even called Sting yet. <laughs> uh, those vignettes were always supposed to be for The Undertaker. But... <laughs> uh, yeah, we're definitely not going to talk about that. I, hey, you mentioned uh, Jeff Hardy Victory Road 2011. <laughs> yeah. Hardy's documentary on WWE Network is getting uh, a lot of praise this week. And I've also seen some extra views, including one from you. What did you think of the show? Yeah, so I tweeted a little bit about this. You can follow us at TWL underscore podcast, by the way. Um, it's not a fun watch because it is two men being very open and honest about how close they came to ruining their lives and potentially to dying or ending up in prison for a very long time and how that around them affected their wives and children. And so it's not, it's not a fun watch. It is, it is very honest. It is not the sort of code word, uh, PR-laden uh, WWE documentary you may have seen on Jeff Hardy or Matt Hardy before, where hmm. you know they talk about demons, <laughs> yeah. but they don't really go into a lot of detail. Uh, I mean, they like I would say about ten minutes of it. I think it's a little over an hour, and like probably ten minutes of it is just them naming different drugs they did. Um, oh man! So it's I mean they're it's it's they're very honest. Uh, they interviewed you know Matt's wife especially when he was you know, putting suicide notes on YouTube and stuff. It's not fun watching like people that care about them. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a part with Christian and uh, Shane Helms talking about how they would just like, they'd be alone with Matt Hardy and they, and he'd be gimmicked out of his mind and they'd be asking him, you know, like, why are you doing this? It's not a party. You're, you know, it's just you and me. Why are you so, you know, why are you so out of it? And him, you know, falling asleep in his food and, Big Show is a, is a pretty big part of this. He talks a lot about, especially about that, like, 2009, 2010 time and how it was really tough to watch those two self-destruct. Wow. Um, hmm. a, lot of, a lot of TNA footage um, with the <laughs> Global Wrestling Network logo in the corner. And at why the end... It, why is it still branded as that? Because <laughs> they're not a... Smart, company. they're not good at business. <laughs> they may. I, my working theory is that their CEO is three eight-year-old children in a trench coat. <laughs> I, 
I was praying you were gonna go or I thought you were gonna go with that. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> That's my working theory. I don't have proof of that, but you know, you heard it here first. So TNA footage on the dock. Yeah, lots of TNA footage. They go in detail. They have Sting interviewed uh, for the Victory Road thing, Eric Bischoff. One of the more interesting parts maybe is they have footage and they have like they bring up the audio so you can hear Bisch- what Bischoff said to Jeff and Sting while they were in the ring together, mm. which is him basically telling Sting, put him down and pin him right away. And him telling Jeff, it's a stinger splash and a death drop and you're done. And then Bischoff said, I didn't really have the authority to do that. I just went out and decided that that's how the show should end. <laughs> Which I thought was a oh, gosh, pretty which God knows what decision making power Eric Bischoff had in TNA, but it also felt like an extra way for Eric Bischoff to put himself over a little bit. Yeah, um, but he did. There was, I mean, there's part where they mentioned that there were they had interns working for the company at the time whose sole job was to like go around the impact zone to find where the Hardys were hiding. <laughs> so, like I said, it's. A pretty crazy documentary. They're very honest. The uh, thing is, the ending is kind of supposed to be this like uplifting thing where you know they had their their rock bottom moments and they gutted through it, and now they're good family men and they come back home and they have lots of backstage footage from you know the mania where they returned. Um, and then and they do mention this to their credit, but then like six weeks ago, <laughs> Jeff Hardy got arrested again, so. That kind of flies in the face of the we've we've changed our act and we're at least Jeff's version of that of the narrative arc of the entire thing. Right, it kind of ruins that a little bit. Um, but I mean, look, I'm not look. Addicts are allowed to have slip ups. It happens from time to time. Assuming that's what it was, I'm not saying. Oh, Jeff Hardy is a terrible dad because he got you know he slipped up and got drunk. But yeah, it kind of. <laughs> It doesn't exactly end on a happy note because the last five minutes or so are spent talking about that. Um, and then immediately cuts the footage of Jeff Hardy winning the U.S. title. <laughs> huh. uh, Interesting. So, so, I mean, it, yeah, so it kind of tries to end on a happy note. But, yeah, it's, I mean, it, I would say it's worth a watch. It's very good. It's very honest. It's not the typical WWE piece that you might expect when it comes to uh, guys who were on their payroll. They have footage of Matt falling asleep during like a sit-down interview for one of Jeff's DVDs. Oh, they no. have footage of Jeff is mic'd up and Matt is talking to him about paying him back for pills that Jeff gave Matt. And then Jeff's <laughs> wife is telling Matt, "Be careful, he's mic'd up." Like it's, it is oh not a, gosh. it is not a happy documentary. Um. According, you know, Matt seems like he's, uh, according to his wife and him and his friends, he has managed to stay clean so far. So, you know, thumbs up to him. And they do go into the, you know, the final deletion stuff and, and all that. So they kind of try to, like I said, they try to make it a happy ending, but then Jeff got arrested. So not a happy time, but I would say it's worth your time. All right. That's a, uh, that's a fair and balanced review of that documentary you should copyright that yeah uh along with a free-flowing discussion yes this is a free-flowing discussion and uh so just for the, the 
purposes of the narrative arc of this show, uh, let's talk about uh, WWE stopping Ring of Honor from running Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I don't uh, know where else to shoehorn this in, so let's drop it here. Sure. Uh, ROH apparently was going to run Madison Square Garden WrestleMania week. <laughs> WWE got wind of this. Matt, the the WWE Madison Square Garden relationship is kind of like the Vince McMahon Jim Ross relationship. <laughs> like, I'm I, I w- I'm going to need a psychoanalyst to explain this to me because WWE's all MSG is our home base, but they run Barclays now, pretty much as their home base. And MSG's like, oh, we love WWE, and then they're going to let Ring of Honor run their WrestleMania and Triple A allegedly. Not WrestleMania right. weekend, but that's right. And there's no, you know, AAA has a hold on the building, but there's they haven't officially canceled that one yet. So weird, weird stuff going on there. You got thoughts on WWE uh, kind of putting the damper on Ring of Honor? Well, it's interesting to me because Joe Coff is not generally a guy who airs dirty laundry publicly. He's, you know, you get a lot of it's all good and, uh, you know, let's move on stuff from him. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he was very open and honest to, I think it was Mike Johnson, just said, we had a deal. They reached out to us. We accepted. We had a deal. We had a date. And then they had communications with WWE. And now we, and they backed out of our deal. Um, I mean, that's, that's as blatant as you can get. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it sounded like there might be some litigation. Yes. He meant, made a point of saying, I'm not going to litigate this in the press. <laughs> Right. So uh, I thought that was pretty telling. So it's, I mean, it's fascinating. I don't like other than WWE promising to do network specials there or something. I don't really know what else. I mean, cause the idea, but uh, according to uh, various wrestling reporters was that MSG is the one that reached out to ring of honor and to triple a um, not, not necessarily the other way around. So is this like a battered wife syndrome and WWE called them up and told them that it would be better next time. And <laughs> please take us back, and we'll run a few TVs there. Uh, I I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like they could probably afford to now. Well, sure, they could always afford to though. Like they just ran there more sparingly, you know, over the last uh, well, about five years ago they just stopped running tv there entirely but before that they would still run you know one tv there a year or something or one pay-per-view right. a year so i don't i don't know i don't know enough about union costs and things like that that reporters always cite for the reason that wwe doesn't do tv there and yet somehow they did the network special there uh 2015 i think yeah i don't i don't know if if yeah i don't know enough about it to really to really talk, really I mean, talk about why WWE doesn't run there. I mean, I will mention that we talked recently about what could WWE do to strike back at the indies after All In sold 10,000 tickets. Yeah. Uh, trying to mark their territory and say, you know, don't come to New York is one way they can do that, I suppose. And, uh, and put, you know, Kenny Omega developmental stuff on the network. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's another way. Um, can we transition from that into another f- former leader of the Bullet Club who should quit WWE? Yeah, so I think this is a nice a nice segue into talking about the Money in the Bank show. Uh, 
We've been so down on WWE lately. Uh, sorry, I don't have my windscreen. I'm just whistling into the microphone here. But <laughs> uh, We've been so down on WWE lately, and I don't like being down on wrestling. I love wrestling, and I like WWE. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. This Money in the Bank show. Just the results of the show, and then Monday Night Raw this week have uh, inspired you come up with a list of talent that you think should quit wwe yeah uh so first two are people that you've mentioned uh sammy Zayn and kevin owens 100 they should quit um <laughs> they could work any those specifically like i understand the oh not everybody's gonna go be cody rhodes but Ke- kevin owens is a better wrestler and promo than cody rhodes and he may not be able to carry himself like a star the way that Cody d- does, but he's like, uh, and you know, a, one of the 10 best promos in the business today. And he would do more than fine for himself outside WWE. Right. And he, right. He doesn't look as good in a suit, but he can go be an every man anti hero like he was before and would absolutely be embraced by that hardcore audience. Uh, Sammy was a great baby face who never talked. And now we found out he's actually a great promo. So, if anything, he might do better on the indie scene than he did uh, when he, he was El Generico. And he's also a great heel. Right. <laughs> so he's lots of options for Sami Zayn. Uh, another guy, speaking of Cody and the Bullet Club, uh, they've been doing this feud forever where you know Cody and Kenny are sort of warring for control of the Bullet Club and kind of have Tamatanga in the background there too. Uh, yes. the, leader, the original leader of the Bullet Club is a guy named Finn Balor. I'm not sure if you know him. Um, yes, yes, he should quit immediately, <laughs> and then at uh, I don't know whatever ROH is uh, maybe over WrestleMania weekend they should do a three way or a four way if they want to throw Tonga in there I doubt it uh, with Kenny Cody and the original Bullet Club leader uh, who I guess would go back to being Prince Devitt and <laughs> again these guys I understand like yes if Zack Ryder quit he'd really have to hustle. You know, uh, he'd do really well with merch. He'd be, you know, he'd he'd be better okay, off. That was he'd be better off than like the Colt Cabana of two years ago, who was like the most successful indie guy. True, true. Okay, uh, someone less Scott Dawson. Scott Dawson would have to <laughs> real really hustle oh, if yeah. he wanted to make a you know the level of income that he probably makes in WWE. Yeah, and and be successful and have artistic success as well. Finn yeah. Balor can go right back to selling Bullet Club merch um, and yeah. Prince Devitt merch and whatever else. And he can go back to selling real rock and roll shirts. And I just, so the three that came to mind really were Owen, Zane, and Balor. They should all immediately quit. <laughs> um, I kind of also think maybe Daniel Bryan should leave when his contract is up. Uh, he very well might. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I see people asking, like, why, why isn't Brian getting pushed harder? It might be because they're not sure he's staying. Um, and but, because his, his head is broken. Also, he's definitely going to wrestle AJ Styles for the title down the line, or Miz will win the title, and he'll wrestle Miz for it. So I don't think, assuming he stays again. Um, I, think, <laughs> I, I think, well, I think he stays only because of his wife working on the show on E. Probably. Um, but anyway, that's, but that Daniel Bryan, another name that might, might, might have just made the list. Um, 
those are the those are the big ones that come to mind currently. Um, but yeah, there's just there's guys, and I was like, there's no way they can't make at least comparable money to what they're making now on the indies. And you could also have like artistic success, uh, fulfillment on top of your monetary success. And like, I can't believe that Finn Balor has any sort of artistic fulfillment losing to Slacks Corbin on Raw. And Braun Strowman, like, two weeks before that. And Kane, you know, six Bray months Wyatt, ago. Joe, yeah. like, he's jumped. He, they keep him just high enough so that all the top guys can beat him. It's really frustrating. So, I, you know... I don't really disagree with any any of those things. I I definitely think Kevin Owens should quit. <laughs> like I know he just signed a five year contract or whatever, and he has kids, so maybe you know the the security of making big money nah, for five nah, quit for five years. I can understand that. I can understand nah. why, why you. <laughs> but if you if you don't have kids and you could make even close to the to the level of money that you could, uh, gosh. Yeah, Bauer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with any of those things. So the Money in the Bank show, Nakamura didn't win the WWE title. Alexa Bliss won Money in the Bank and <laughs> cashed in and won the title. <laughs> <laughs> Who won the Ronda Rousey Nia Jax match? Alexa Bliss. Yes, we should have seen it coming. We really should have. And Braun Strowman uh, won Money in the Bank. I guess I was probably mildly surprised at Strowman. Um, but I'm never surprised when the uh, blonde lady wins the match in WWE. Uh, what do you think of the Money in the Bank pay per view? Um, it was mostly fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was too long, but mostly fine, which is I think is just a catch all for most WWE main roster shows at this point. But uh, I mean, the the women's ladder match I thought was pretty good. I thought uh, my my only thing when it comes to the two ladder match winners is. Money in the Bank kind of used to be a thing, and we talked about this. We did a Money in the Bank retrospective probably a little over a year ago now and kind of went down the lists of winners, and it was generally used as a thing to elevate uh, a guy who was near the top but needed a little help or they just wanted to give a little extra oomph to. Uh, and this year, they just used it to reinforce the pushes of the, t- the woman that has been in like the women's title match at like the last 16 straight pay-per-views or something ridiculous like that. And, and the guy who's already at worst, the number two baby face on the show. So I kind of questioned giving uh, those to the briefcase. I can kind of understand their thoughts with Alexa because she was the only raw heel in the match. And I guess they don't want to pull the trigger on that very obviously coming natty turn. <laughs> so, do they even put that much thought into it though? Because like, clearly circumstances would indicate that you're going to get a natty turn soon. And the stop, start, 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 stop, start. Sasha Banks' turn appears to be uh, start this week. Like they're going to be so unbalanced yeah I, I don't know man i don't think they've put this much thought in as much thought into it as you have that's probably a safe bet which is another thing that 
so the the extreme rules uh, main event this year is a five way with the winner getting Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, which was oh the extreme rules main event last year, which led to us having a discussion offline talking about is this writing staff just so bad that they pitch the same unoriginal crap all the time, or do they actually pitch creative things? And Grandpa Vince just reworks it into what he's comfortable with and which is not pushing any mid carters, not letting anyone get bigger than the, than the brand and, you know, having a very top heavy roster and doing f- five meaningless um, multi-person matches at every six hour long pay-per-view. It's as always, I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle uh, yes, maybe they do pitch more original ideas sometimes, but obviously he must like the idea, so you can't blame it all on, oh, the writing staff must be so lazy, because if he thought they were lazy or unoriginal, he would say so. But clearly he likes it, so whether or not that's them realizing what generally gets thumbs up from the old man and just deciding, all right, let's pitch just that, or, or whether it's him... Just laying out, you know what? We're doing a five-way or a six-way or a ten-way or whatever at the at the next pay-per-view, and then they just work backwards from that. I mean, like I said, perhaps the truth is somewhere in the middle, but yeah, I, it's hard not to feel like somebody there is pretty freaking lazy and doesn't want to have to book a one-on-one match where one top guy wins and one top guy loses, unless one of the top guys is Finn Balor, in which case, pin him all you want. <laughs> let's let's pin Finn. Let's pin Becky a lot, because she talks funny. And... Uh, well, we had to beat Asuka at WrestleMania, so they could, they could do great things like that angle on Sunday night. Hey, I'm happy for Ellsworth. You know, I'm... I'm happy that Carmella's segments might actually have people care about them. Like, it might actually have heat for once. That would be something refreshing. There's not a lot of heat anywhere on these shows. Sure, but they react when Asuka comes out, and then Carmella's music. They don't even pop for her entrance. Everybody gets a pop for their entrance, and they don't care about Carmella's entrance. Which is really... A, a testament to how not good she is bell to bell because if you had an entrance like that and you could work a lick you'd be over you know what i mean yeah <laughs> i mean good lord um <laughs> hey enzo and Cass have been fired and carmella is still there big Cass got fired this week did you ever think that Carmella would be the last woman standing out of that group. <laughs> I mean, she is attractive and blonde, so the odds were somewhat in her favor. But uh, the other great love of Vince McMahon's life is big, tall men. So, uh, yeah, it's a little surprising because you generally see guys who look like Cass, uh, Test, for instance, uh, get a lot of chances to be stars, even when they seemingly squander that push or get hurt or whatever. They seem to get a lot of chances, a lot more chances than, say, 
someone, uh, Daniel Bryan, or <laughs> his name keeps coming up, Finn Balor's size, when they get injured, it's, well, we can't trust the company. We can't put the, give this kid the ball. He might get hurt. But big guys generally, generally don't seem to get that stigma attached to them. Um, so I'm a little surprised that they were willing to cut bait with him so relatively quickly. Um, he was, if you are, you know, it's seemingly not particularly well liked in the locker room. So perhaps his recent uh, clashes with management over the assault of a little person and, uh, and maybe his general attitude combined with the fact that none of his peers were perhaps willing to speak up on his behalf. Uh, that seems like a recipe for you losing your job. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of people that are going to go out on the Indies and probably do okay if he and uh, he and Olenzo can put their differences aside. <laughs> you know, I think ultimately it doesn't matter because this may have been the end result anyway just because of the individuals involved. But there, there are teams that should never break up, and they, that team should have never broken up. Like, Cass could have gone and been a single, and Enzo could have been his manager as a babyface or as a heel. And they just broke him up with for no real reason. And, I mean, like I said, we may have gotten to this point anyway where they're both fired. <laughs> but <laughs> um, some tag teams just should never break up. No, that's, that's correct. I, I was thinking about that when I watched New Day stuff. Um, like some, I think as much as I think people see their individual talents and go, oh, man. This New Day's thing has run its course, and they should all just break up, and Big E should turn heel or whatever. It's like we know what the ceiling for those three guys was, were as sing- well, is as single stars because we saw it before the New Day was formed. So I would not be rushing. If I were in any part of a tag team that's even moderately successful in that company, much less one like, one like Enzo and Cass or the New Day who sells merch, uh, I would not be in a rush to break up and see if I get my big singles push. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh, We talked about a lot of things that we weren't going to talk about, and we talked about most things that we are going to talk about. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to get to this week? Well, we've kind of gone all around the world again. uh, And, uh, of course, talked New Japan, talked ROH, talked WWE being Walmart, uh, talk to their product being pretty uninteresting and surprise, surprise, another great takeover show. So feels like we've covered all our usual bases here. Jennifer Garner is 45 years old. <laughs> when I, when I was a kid and like my preschool teachers were 45 years old, they looked like Greg, the hammer Valentine <laughs> and Harley race. <laughs> God is my witness. And, and, I just I don't understand what is it how how much better healthcare has gotten or for rich people sure or plastic surgery or I'm not accusing anyone of anything I don't all right well again money the answer to most the way most people uh, continue in good health and uh, happy life into their old age is generally money and. Happy birthday, Sir Paul McCartney. On that note, do we have a picture of Paul McCartney? There it is. 
I'll put something in the bonus features. Good times. That all right. That. Yeah, that's all I got. So, till next time, I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. And we'll be back very soon with more stories from the wrestling life. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. For other podcasts like this, head to obpapparel.com. The Wrestling Life is brought to you by OBP Apparel. For Baltimore's best local sports gear, head to obpapparel.com. Whether it's baseball or football season, we've got you covered with Baltimore's best local sports gear. That's obpapparel.com. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. Be sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for The Wrestling Life on the iTunes store. Make sure you leave a review and tell us how we're doing. Also, be sure to follow the guys on Twitter at TWL underscore podcast for live tweets during wrestling events and other hilarity throughout the week. That's at TWL underscore podcast. Now back to the guys. I don't believe that fake news or Russian spying ads is what costs her the election. I think her only campaigning in the three richest states in the country is <laughs> uh, what hurt her. Sure. Among a myriad of other things, maybe not uh, you know, being accused of crimes by the FBI <laughs> and then not holding a press conference for a year. Um, that hurt her. <laughs> There's plenty of things that hurt her. Facebook. But I mean, the fact is, yeah, there are people that'll... Just read a headline that they like mm-hmm. and just click that share button. That's absolutely real. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really sad. All right. Let me get my list of stuff we're not going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I just... I'm, I, I know... Oh, God. <laughs> like, I, I don't... I'm sure President Obama deported more people than anyone ever. I I don't I don't care. I'm not arguing. <laughs> that doesn't make an argument against what is happening now irrelevant. Right. I mean <sighs> it's like everyone's looking for the, you know, the perfect clap back for <laughs> because, you know, everyone even, you know, Lindsey Graham who who loves President <laughs> Trump and tweets about his golf game twice a week. Uh, has to come out and say, yeah, this looks really bad. We should stop doing this. Mm-hmm. And so, but they have to have something to clap back against because they can't just admit, yeah, this is bad. So their one thing is to go, well, where were you several years ago? Meanwhile, it's like the most criticism Obama got over anything as far as from people on the left was absolutely his immigration policy. And also the fact that, you know, he killed a lot of people with drone strikes. But... Sure. Uh, so the idea that oh nobody cared, like, you know, people cared, but it also was, you know, not that this makes it necessarily okay, but it was not it was not the standard policy. Absolutely, there were children separated from their parents before, 
but it was not a standard policy, and it was not. <laughs> and whether, and even if it was, it doesn't matter. It's still it a doesn't bad mean it has thing. To, right? Doesn't mean it has to continue. <laughs> Saying this is the way things have always been, and why weren't you mad five years ago, is a really, really lame cop out, and it's a way to try to make you seem smart. And it's a bunch of stupid ass libertarians can share their <laughs> Breitbart articles. Libert- <laughs> It's 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 like the complete lack of a position or ideology on anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, here we are. <laughs> so much to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so much we can't talk about. Anyway, Takumi says, Craig, we just started viewing your program and do not understand the photo of the Beatles' Paul McCartney. Can you help? <laughs> well, uh, do we have a photograph of Paul McCartney? <laughs> yeah. I, I failed to see what the problem would be. It's just simply a photograph of Paul McCartney. Yeah. I'll tell you why I keep doing that. When, how long ago was it, Michael? About nine years ago? Nine, nine and a half years ago, when this show first started, the Los Angeles Times gave us a terrible review in which they said, and they continually show a picture of Angela Lansbury, say it's a picture of Paul McCartney, uh, without any apparent irony. <laughs> so, uh, we've been doing it at least once a week. <laughs> Ever since. Yeah. Without... Without any apparent irony. <laughs> Time to watch all of Frasier again. <laughs> Why is that like a meme? Like, everybody loves that show now. Was it good? Okay, I've seen probably 10 episodes of Frasier ever in my life, and uh-huh. nine of them were good. But, like, in. Oh, not in the way you think where it's like two rich guy brothers uh, being snobs. It's like the plot they would, it was uh, whatever the, the plot structure of like a uh, French farce or farce is mm-hmm. where it's, it's just a lot of door humor and ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous situations that they end up putting themselves in. And like, that's what made the show great is that, okay. <laughs> um, and again, basing this on my 10 episodes, I saw <laughs> eight or nine of which were good. Uh, first season, we, Anna and I started trying to watch the first season, and we got about three episodes in. And I'm just like, this is, first of all, it's horribly dated because <laughs> oh, <laughs> it started yeah. in 1993 or four or whatever. And secondly, it was, most comedies especially are not good in the first year or two. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So. So that's Frasier. <laughs> that's Frasier. That's hashtag Frasier talk for this week. I try to keep on keeping on.